My name is Sarah Sanga. I am head of U.S. Medical Affairs with Allergan Aesthetics. Before we get started, I wanted to share important information. Botox Cosmetic is a prescription medicine that is injected into the muscle and used to temporarily improve the look of moderate to severe forehead lines, crow's feet lines, and frown lines between the eyebrows in adults. There are risks with this product. Talk to your doctor about Botox Cosmetic and whether it's right for you. The effect of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Botox and Botox Cosmetic may cause serious side effects that can be life-threatening. Get medical help right away if you have any of these problems any time after injection of Botox or Botox Cosmetic. Problems swallowing, speaking, or breathing due to weakening of associated muscles can be severe and result in loss of life. You are at the highest risk if these problems are pre-existing before injection. Swallowing problems may last for several months. Spread of toxin effects. The effect of botulinum toxin may affect areas away from the injection site and cause serious symptoms, including loss of strength and all over muscle weakness, double vision, blurred vision, and drooping eyelids, hoarseness or change or loss of voice, trouble saying words clearly, loss of bladder control, trouble breathing, and trouble swallowing. Please continue listening at the end of this podcast for full important safety information. Hi, Dr. Carruthers. I am so excited to be here and speaking to you about the history and impact of Botox Cosmetic because you are one of the pioneers of the brand and you were here when we got the first FDA approval for aesthetic use of Botox Cosmetic. In 1982, I worked on a project to treat misaligned eyes without surgery. We used neurotoxins to treat specific muscles around the affected eye. An observation was made when my blepharospasm patient, who I'd been treating with the product, came to me, noticing a difference around the untreated area. She said, you didn't treat me here, and I apologized to her. I said, I'm so sorry, I didn't think that you were spasming there. And she said, oh, I know I'm not spasming there, but every time you treat me in my spasming eye. This was when the penny dropped, because my husband, Alistair Carruthers, who was a cosmetic dermatologist, had been struggling to treat his patients. So I talked to him, and we started pursuing the conversation among our peers to conduct clinical trials. Since we are reminiscing, I joined Allergan in 2001, and soon after, Botox Cosmetic was approved by the FDA for its first aesthetic use in glabellar lines. And our next approval for aesthetics wasn't until 2013 for crow's feet indication, and then 2017 for forehead lines. One of the most exciting parts about working in aesthetics over the last 20 years has been the evolution of aesthetic medicine, especially with the introduction of validated patient-reported outcome measures in clinical trials. 
And with our forehead lines trials, we really saw these measures come into effect. We saw that the patients saw clinically meaningful improvement in the appearance of forehead lines. But back to the beginning, how would you say, Dr. Carruthers, the discovery of Botox Cosmetic was received by the industry and your peers? It took people a long time to get on board. I presented our first paper at the American Society for Dermatologic Surgery annual meeting. And normally when I give a paper, I get lots of questions and people are really interested. But this time the audience was flat, nothing. (laughs) After the talk, people came up to me and said things like, that's a crazy idea that'll go (laughs) nowhere. They didn't understand that what we were talking about is botulinum toxin as a drug. And this can be studied and tested. So that is when Alistair and I decided to do a lot of studies using the scientific method. It's amazing how science works. And when you can take the real world experience and then demonstrate safety and efficacy through rigorous clinical trials, it's icing on the cake. So my role in medical affairs is to scientifically support all our products, and we've supported Botox Cosmetics since its approval for glabellar lines. And what we do is we focus on the disease state education, on the pathophysiology of why something happens early on pre-approval stage. And once the product is FDA approved, we shift our scientific discourse on the actual asset, the mechanism of action, the clinical study outcomes. And one of the best things about my role is I get to discuss and explore science with people like yourself. So Botox Cosmetic, for the first of its kind, approved by the US FDA for glabellar lines in 2002. How did that happen? Would you share some of your your, uh, memories about that? Well, we had to work closely with the FDA to establish proof points. We worked with Allergan to create the global facial assessment tool called the Facial Wrinkle Scale for glabellar lines so that we could assess the clinical efficacy of the product in the clinical trials. Ultimately, we demonstrated that a two-grade improvement in patients' glabellar lines using that scale was very uh, appropriate. When we first conducted product trials, I happened to be one of the first trial patients myself after confirming I was appropriate to participate. So Botox Cosmetic was first FDA approved for a temporary improvement in the appearance of moderate to severe glabellar lines. And that was back in 2002. Do you remember that date Do you, that, that the FDA approved Botox Cosmetic for glabellar lines? Um, what did that signal for you? Any thoughts around that? The United States market is the biggest market. The approval in April of 2002 was remarkable because suddenly you could talk about it. It was very important rung on the ladder to social acceptability. We also were invited all over the world to lecture. And soon, people were starting to do their own studies and publish their own work. So really, it created a language to have doctors in every country of the world able to understand what everyone else was talking about and expand their own research. And now here we are 20 years later. Botox Cosmetic is a household name. And we're continuing to find new indications and study this drug 
For the industry, it was a first of its kind FDA approval. What are your thoughts? And you were one of the pioneers. You helped lead to this approval. What are your thoughts on that? I think it is a generational drug. Botox Cosmetic is so impactful because it addresses patients' needs. I've been using Botox Cosmetic for the last 20 years, both on my patients and myself. Botox Cosmetic is an iconic brand. When Botox Cosmetic was first approved, being the first of its kind meant people were unsure, perhaps even a little skeptical about it. People tend to ask, well, what about 10 years down the road? Well, here we are 20 years down the road, and the product is something millions of people trust. This is thanks to the providers and patients who looked at the science and were willing to experience the treatment. I think you're absolutely right. One of the reasons Botox Cosmetic became popular is because it revolutionized how providers addressed patient concerns about their moderate to severe facial lines. And once with the glabellar lines approval, the providers understood how this product worked. And with that curiosity came additional clinical trials, especially the ones for two, two additional FDA approvals around lateral cantha lines, that's crow's feet, and forehead lines. And since its first approval in glabellar lines, Botox Cosmetic has continued to serve as a catalyst to the immense growth that the field of aesthetic medicine has witnessed by pushing more research, more data, more understanding. And today it's approved for three FDA uses for aesthetic use in glabellar lines, forehead lines, and crow's feet. So in another conversation, you had mentioned that there was perception in the beginning that Botox cosmetic treatment was for celebrities. I know our marketing team made the decision to move away from using celebrities in their campaigns and actually have this campaign where they highlight real patients called the See, See Yourself campaign. And as someone who's in the target market for Botox Cosmetic, I think that was brilliant and very relatable. In your point of view, why do you think Botox Cosmetic has been such a hit? In my practice, I continue to see increased interest in Botox Cosmetic, with more and more new patients entering the category who are requesting the treatment by name. Botox Cosmetic has established itself as a trusted brand for real people. Botox Cosmetic provides subtle, predictable results. It's not just for celebrities. It's for real people who have moderate to severe lines in one of the three indicated areas, as determined by their provider. How would you sum up Botox Cosmetic in the last 20 years and the next 20 years? Over the years, the perception around aesthetic treatment has shifted dramatically, creating greater transparency and an empowered dialogue around the decision to seek a consultation for Botox Cosmetic. Who uses Botox Cosmetic? Our mothers and sisters, our neighbors and friends, the men in our lives, it's a brand that reaches so many people. Many times, when you really look around, it ends up being the person next door who's a Botox Cosmetic patient. With Botox Cosmetic, you can still look like you, just with fewer lines. Botox Cosmetic has a tenured team that has accumulated a wealth of neurotoxin knowledge from research and development over the years. I think we're going to keep on learning about this drug. We're also excited to keep on learning everything 
about this amazing molecule. Absolutely. Our 20th milestone serves as a celebration of our rich heritage, while also spotlighting the continued innovation of this brand. The celebration is about taking time to pause, reflect on our accomplishments, and also recognizing people like yourself who who have led the way with the development of this molecule. And while it's important to look back on the past 20 years and acknowledge all that we've accomplished, we are very much focused on the future and all the exciting things that are yet to come. Within R&D, Botox Cosmetic is looking to continue clinical development and product innovation. So, you know, one thing we were talking about the other day, and it's very dear to my heart, is taking this taking the field of aesthetic medicine mm-hmm. over the last 22, 20 years. Yeah. Any thoughts on that as you see more people using, mm-hmm. using this product? Oh, it's a, it's a tipping point because now millennials, most of you are millennials, now millennials are the predominant member of the workforce. In fact, they share this information mm-hmm. over the internet and in comparison the boomers don't share it with anybody it's a different a completely different attitude and it's not for just for celebrities like you mentioned Mm. more and more people feel if it can be if my neighbor can use it i can use it too and i think that normalization and taking it off the pedestal as only a celebrity treatment Mm. has helped more and more people ask for it Oh. I agree. It's it's no longer, um, it's no longer uh, taboo to talk about it. Absolutely. And I think men have. I don't think men ever really looked at themselves much before. Um, I think that the with the pandemic and everybody being on Zoom, Stanford did the research. Forty percent of the time you're on a Zoom call. Oh wow! And so you have to give them the opportunity. For people who are in the business world and in the professional world, we all realize that our faces are our calling card. Really, even more so perhaps during the pandemic, our upper face, because we were all wearing masks all the time. So Dr. Carruthers, I'd love for you to share the experience you had when you first started working with the botulinum toxin molecule. I, I started using it, uh, I was an ophthalmologist and strabismologist, uh, so I was using it to realign misaligned eyes initially. But there was another subgroup of people who had what is called benign essential blepharospasm and also spastic lower eyelid entropion, which means the lower eyelid turns in. But the blepharospasm people were really visually handicapped because the spasm was so intense that they couldn't open their eyes to cross the street, drive a car, earn a living. And three days after they had had treatment of the spasming muscles with Botox, they're really functional members of society again. Magic. And that was at a time when uh, patients were being seen by doctors who didn't know what they had. And the patients were referring, they go up to somebody and say, I know what you have. (laughs) And I know who can give you some treatment to give you relief. And that's initially, I had a lot of patients referred by patients. So it was uh, quite impressive. And it was one of those 
uh, blepharospasm patients. This, she's the one who got angry at me because I didn't treat her here, and she pointed to her medial brows on each side. And that, that was the penny dropping. Just that I knew that Alistair had been struggling trying, because he's a cosmetic dermatologist, struggling to treat the 11s, if you will. And of course, those are helpful in the resting phase, but not in the animated phase. I had deep frown lines and didn't, it never bothered me. And I'd hand them a picture of me with my frown lines. And I'd say, what do you think? And show them my forehead. And they'd say, oh, do it. I can't wait. And so they could uh, see that it was a possible uh, treatment for themselves as well. Just like you said, the education is really important in educating them around the actual molecule, what it can do. Botox cosmetic, because you know what's in the vial. As a, as a physician, you're, you're going to give a drug to somebody uh, that is a known quantity, very important. Whereas you can source vials from the internet and there can be in one study that was done uh, between zero and 280 units of botulinum toxin in that vial. You have no idea what you're doing with that. So to me, it just is a very um, important thing for safety. Absolutely. So then pivoting to your practice today, mm -hmm. yeah, and do you see that the, that the population of people who come in asking for Botox cosmetic has changed or it has remained pretty consistent with what you saw when you first started, um, when, when it was first FDA approved and you, start, you were using it? I think that there is a huge change. That's a great question, because where we did start with uh, people born, uh, you know, 1946 to 64, the baby boomers, uh, now, of course, the millennials and generations X, Y, and Z, if you will, to lump all of people together, are really starting to get very interested in it. And so they're coming in uh, much greater numbers. It's estimated that in uh, three years' time, they will um, make 25% of our practices. So it's not just people uh, who have uh, a professional career. It's people from all walks of life. Uh, as you said earlier, it's your neighbor. Uh, and also it's men. I think that the, uh, Zoom has to take a lot of credit for the increase in male patients because Stanford did all the research that 40% of the time you're looking at your Zoom screen, you're actually looking at yourself. And I think men never actually had took much time to look at themselves before like we do. So I think it's, a, it's, a, it's been really good for uh, spreading, if you will, broadening the uh, patient group or groupings that are coming in for treatment. Absolutely. And do they come ask, do they, the, the millennials per se, do they actually come in asking for treatment of glabellar lines? Well, they start off very conservatively. They've read all about it. They've got uh, Professor Google in, <laughs> in their cell phones. And they come in and they say, I don't want much. Just do a little tiny bit and don't make me look like. And they name a couple of famous uh, people uh, who are, I think perhaps a little overdone because they want to look natural and they don't want to, they want to share the experience. 
And that's the starting point is usually, and then they label, you know, the crow's feet or, you know, other areas uh, that uh, are concerns to them. So it's something that is a, a steep learning curve on their part. But you're right, they're educating themselves, but they're educating themselves also by doing the treatment and not just reading about it. 20 years later, how do you feel? About well, it's, it's, certainly, um, it's certainly the most amazing development because having been thought crazy <laughs> by all my friends and colleagues, yeah, you were a very good pediatric ophthalmologist. Why don't you go back and do that again? But you can't. The horse is out of the barn. I have to say that I, I give huge credibility to Alistair for uh, being a husband who listens and for being excited about working uh, on the science with me. And I give huge credibility to our particularly dermatology colleagues who have open minds. And uh, it, I think I really do mean it that uh, this molecule has actually developed a language for us that we can communicate with colleagues all over the world who've been having similar experiences. Nothing did that before. This was the key in the social lock.